Hoop Ball fans, my name is Greg Moraz and I'm the host of the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. On my show, we talk all things going on at the Madhouse on Madison. With a revamped front office, a solid young core, and potentially a new coach on the way, there hasn't been a more exciting time to dive into Chicago's favorite team. We have it all covered for you on the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. And also on Twitter, at Hoop Ball Bulls. Go Bulls! And enjoy the show! The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. the weekend it's the weekend but nobody knows because what the hell matters it's 2020 every day is the damn same it's the weekend supposedly if you believe what they tell you it's the weekend oh god oh god where have we come it's fantasy nba today hold the fantasy i'm dan Vespers at dan Vespers on twitter d-a-n-b-e-s-b-r-i-s or just google search dan from hoop ball which of course our benevolent overlords, we bow before you, the great folks at hoop-ball.com with their fantastic content and the ability to host this lovely podcast for now a multiple years. By the way, if you're wondering what's going on over at HoopBall today, the great Joe Stroman, I mentioned yesterday we had a new show coming out. It is out, the HoopBall Heat podcast. Yes, this is exciting for us. We have coverage of the Miami Heat, Joe doing a wonderful job with the pod. He actually dropped two episodes in a single day yesterday. One is an introductory episode that kind of reset the table, and then a post-game report on the Heat victory over the Celtics last night. That's a game, of course, we'll be going over, uh, going over here on the podcast momentarily. We have our daily DFS action on Hoop Ball. The uh, the wonderful pairing of Mike Apatria and Aaron Asmus. Aaron also following up with the DFS delivery. The written breakdown for the showdown slate tonight. That's Lakers and Nuggets game one. Just awesome, awesome stuff all the time at Hoop Ball. And right before I started recording, the wonderful Corbin Ford dropped today's episode of NBA Today on the Miami victory. The Zen Masters birthday and Toronto's thoughts as they head into their off season. So just great stuff all the way across the board. Make sure to follow Hoop Ball Heat on Twitter. A handful of you have found them already. Hopefully more now after we announce it on this podcast. Check them out. Uh, Hoop Ball Nets, by the way. The guys at Hoop Ball Nets dropped an episode yesterday for the first time in a little while. Would uh, Those guys have a wonderful show. Uh, Najee and Hunter. And uh, definitely check that out. So just a ton of stuff going on at Hoop Ball all the damn time. But look, we have things on the docket, and we're going to dive right into them today. No time to waste at the beginning of the podcast. Tonight, Lakers, Nugs, Game 1, Western Conference Finals, Lakers favored by 7, with a total of 209 and a half. And what do we always do in the first game of a series? Well, we assume that this is the game where there will be some pretty intense feeling out as teams kind of throw their their fastball, effectively. This is teams throwing their fastball. Each side is just like, look, this is what we do. Figure it out. What we've seen from these two teams so far is that they are adjusters. 
Both of these teams have shown a willingness to adjust. The Nuggets seemingly taking longer to implement their adjustments, falling behind 3-1 in each of their first two playoff series before coming back and winning three games in a row. Nuggets are a ridiculous 6-0 in this playoffs while facing elimination. The Lakers 0-0 while facing elimination in these playoffs. Lakers 0-2 in game ones and 8-0 and in every other game they've played in the postseason so far. Lakers, of course, uh, more well-rested. Nuggets had two days off after their last ball game, the win over the Clippers. Lakers have been off since the 12th? Am I getting that right? I think so. Yeah, beat Houston on the 12th. That wrapped up that series uh, way back on Saturday. So there are a few things going into this series that I want to highlight. Number one, the Lakers in game ones. That is a factor. It's something we need to be thinking of in this ballgame. What have we seen from the Lakers in Game 1s so far against Portland and Houston, and how does that translate to what we might see here against the Nuggets? Well, Game 1 against Portland, the Lakers put up 93 points. They were decidedly rusty. They couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. They actually played really good defense in that game anyway, and that game went way, way, way under the total in a game that, frankly, uh, to me, wasn't really as close as it ended. Lakers were getting thumped in the fourth quarter. They scored a couple buckets late. They, 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 it was just an ugly end to a ball game that, for a while, was kind of trading, I don't want to say trading buckets, mostly trading stops throughout the ball game, and then Dame hit a couple of big shots. And then the Lakers in the next four games against the Blazers put up 111, 116, 135, and 131. That's pretty crazy. Game one against the Rockets, the Lakers put up 97 and gave up 112 to Houston and then came back and scored 117, 112, 110, and 119 in the next four games in a row. So what do we make from that? Well, In a lot of these series, I've actually leaned towards the over in Game 1 because it is a little bit of a feel-out game, and you tend to see, again, both teams throwing their offensive fastball and saying, here's what we do, see if you can stop it. The Lakers have been a different story in that in their Game 1s, it seems like they're just sort of looking at what the other team is doing. It's... A, a measured approach that makes it very hard to win their game ones so far. I mean, they got smoked by the Rockets in game one of that series. And, and yeah, again, they were off for almost a week, so there was a little bit of a rust factor there. But for the most part, and you, you dig a little bit deeper, what you see is that LeBron is really surveying. So the Lakers actually like to play kind of slowly in game ones of their series while eyeballing a little bit what the other team is going to do defensively in the half court and what the other team is going to do offensively in the half court. It's almost like the Lakers are saying, we need to see your fastball and we need to see it as many times as humanly possible. Because if you get out and this is a a track meet, and both teams are just running and gunning, you're not actually seeing a team's fastball. There's no great baseball metaphor for what fast break opportunities are in an NBA playoff game. The team is just throwing what's in front of them. It's not baseball, so I'm not going to make a metaphor there. Effectively, 
the fastball that I'm talking about here, of course, is related to half-court sets. What's a team going to do? What is their actual strategy for attacking your set defense and attacking your set offense? We saw, and we're getting a little bit of the X's and O's here, and again, I'm not the world's greatest at this. I'm at, at my core a fantasy guy and a betting guy, and I'm not someone who sets the strategy for a team, but I've been trying to read fairly extensively about these playoff series to, to be a little bit more well-versed on these podcasts. And, you know, one of the things you noticed in the Lakers Trailblazers series is that the Blazers were going to attack the Lakers with a lot of Dame and CJ pick-and-roll. That that was going to be their move. And I think the Lakers probably could have seen that coming a little bit. And frankly, it's why they defended relatively well, even in that very first game of the series, as opposed to against the Rockets. I think they were trying to figure out how the Rockets were going to use Harden and Westbrook. And they got caught a little bit with their pants down in that they, they just simply weren't ready for the way James was going to beat him up. And then even more so defensively, I think against the Rockets, with the Blazers... Lakers had open shots. They just missed a lot of them. I don't, I don't think that there were, you know, adjustment-wise, Lakers didn't have to make that many adjustments in that series. They just needed to start seeing some shots go down. Lakers did make, make some serious adjustments against the Rockets. Namely, on the defensive side, they were like, look, Harden's going to roast us. You let Harden go one-on-one with, you know, 98% of the NBA. He's just going to cook them. And we don't really have the guys to stop him. Lakers' best opportunity to stop James Harden was to put LeBron on him, but no way they wanted to risk LeBron getting into foul trouble, and frankly, they needed his energy for other defensive stuff and, of course, for the offensive side. So that, that, that just wasn't really an option. So it was, you know, combinations of Danny Green and Alex Caruso and so forth, and they all actually got better at defending Harden as the series went on as they started to sort of feel his tendencies firsthand as opposed to watching them on film. But in that first game, Lakers pretty much ran single coverage, and Harden just cooked them. And so they made their adjustments. The Rockets never really threw a changeup in the series, and the Lakers rolled them four games in a row. On the other side, the Lakers started to figure out what the Rockets wanted to do against them on defense, namely trying to pack the paint, but that left other opportunities, namely Anthony Davis in the mid-range, three-point shooters when they had the shots going down, and then the Lakers started finding all sorts of openings, and LeBron realized that his best opportunity to attack was to get a switch of someone that was less bulky and knock him out of the way, pretty much, forcing the rest of the defense to help. If they don't, he scores easily. If they do, LeBron's always finding the the, the open man. That was a pretty... Pretty a fairly simple set of adjustments the Lakers made, and there wasn't a whole lot the, the Rockets could do because even when L.A. missed a shot, they just came flying in for a tip slam. Anthony Davis was a maniac on the glass in that series. They had this severe size advantage. So as great as the Lakers' turnaround was, it wasn't that hard for them to pull off. It wasn't like they had to make four or five different adjustments. They were like, all right, here's our tweak. But what I'm looking at here and why we're trying to get a feel for this upcoming game one is what do the Lakers do and what do the Nuggets do when they're just getting series going? And what we've seen now from the Lakers is they like to play a slow first game. I've seen a lot of reports on Twitter from generally those that cover the Nuggets saying that the Lakers are trying, going to try to beat the Nuggets in transition. 
And I don't think that's entirely true here for game one. When the opportunities present themselves, they'll take them. But the Lakers are not going to take quick shots just for the sake of taking quick shots. That hasn't been their M.O., in this in the postseason at all. The reason they're putting up 115, 120 points is that they've been shooting the lights out in the postseason. Look at the Lakers' field goal percent in a lot of these recent ball games. It's crazy. The clincher over Houston, they shot 53%. Go back a couple days earlier, 49% in the game that they only won by 10 points. 55% in the game before that against Houston. Game two win over Houston, 57%. And then, of course, the one that they lost, where they were kind of going feel-out mode, 42%. AD was good. LeBron was feeling it out. The jump shooters weren't there. The, the looks were weird. They had 15 turnovers also. The story is, is pretty damn similar against Portland. They were not good in game one. And then they came back and they shot the lights out in basically every game after that. 55% in the clincher after the long layoff. When the hell was the previous game? Was it a Tuesday or Wednesday before that they they played? I think it was might go all the way back to Monday. A lot of games back then. 56% in that one. So, I mean, that's what you're looking at here. Lakers offense has been insanely efficient. Insanely efficient. And they'll probably get some pretty good looks against Denver as well. I don't, I don't think Denver is a better defensive team than Houston. They're bigger. All of these teams are better defensive teams than Portland. The Blazers hadn't guard, they, they didn't guard anyone during the bubble, even when they went on their run. So the fact that the Lakers were putting up, and, and I shouldn't say putting, they were piling up points on Portland should not have come as a surprise to anyone. Denver will be the Lakers' toughest test on defense so far, not because they have the best player in the playoffs. In fact, James, guarding James Harden one-on-one is probably harder than guarding Nikola Jokic one-on-one. But the Nuggets have more things going on in that their number two option, Jamal Murray, right now is a more dangerous player than Russell Westbrook because he can score near the rim, he can score in the mid-range, he can shoot the three ball. One of those things, Westbrook can't do at all. So the Lakers are going to have a few more things to consider defensively. I don't know what they're going to do here on sort of the Lakers' defensive fastball, whatever you want to call that. My guess would be, based on the way we've seen the last two series go, is that the Lakers are going to try to take away what they think is the opponent's best opportunity to score. And based on what Denver did to the Clippers... That would seem to be, don't double Jokic. Because every time the Clippers brought a double team in Nikola Jokic, well, not every time, but almost every time, it created a wide open look. Just crazy scramble drills that no one's going to be able to cover because Denver passes too well. Utah played it a little more straight up, a little more one-on-one, and Jamal Murray was cooking the Jazz uh, guards. But then also, you have to kind of look at what, what that meant. I mean, he was cooking uh, 45-year-old Mike Conley. Uh, Jordan Clarkson was on him at for, for stretches. Donovan Mitchell was actually... That's a, pretty good, that's a pretty good feather in the cap for Jamal Murray, cooking Donovan Mitchell. He's a better defender than those other two guys. Uh, and by all accounts, 
Jamal Murray will probably get his against the Lakers because I don't, I don't see them doubling him unless you want to consider, you know, like a hard hedge off a pick and roll, a double. But I don't, I don't think that I would call that a traditional double team. They're not going to run at him the way they did James Harden. They may play him a bit more like they did Damian Lillard. Maybe not quite to 36 feet out. I think you probably want Jamal Murray taking a 33-34 footer if, if if that's an option even with as even as hot as he's been but what the Lakers did against Lillard in watching that series was the big man never dropped back the big man hedged if they had to double dame they did they forced him to float a pass towards the middle to a rolling Yusuf Nurkic who really didn't make very good decisions on the roll if you know if that's Nikola Jokic, you're going to see better decisions, but you also don't have a lot of speed. There isn't a lot of quickness there, so there is an opportunity for the Lakers to recover. And then you're looking again at you know Jokic on the move, probably on a one-on-one situation, and you know Anthony Davis can do a pretty good job in those spots. So that would be my guess on how the Lakers defend Denver here out of the shoot. I don't think they send a ton of traditional doubles. I don't think they double Jokic. You know, unless there's a massive mismatch that's set up by something earlier in the set. But, you know, if you if you got Jokic backing down on Dwight Howard, Anthony Davis, someone like that, even LeBron or Markeith Morris, you probably just let him back down. And he'll probably shoot 55% on whatever comes of that. But I think they'd rather that than a Jokic kick out to a wide-open three-point shooter who, you know, the effective field goal percent on a, a wide-open three might be more like 65 or 70%. So that's actually worse which I know seems crazy, but you get somebody a a 42-43% look from outside as opposed to a 55% look in the post on a two-pointer, the three-pointer is better. If he gets, you know, if Jokic gets matched up on like a Danny Green or something, you might see some help or, you know, chair being pulled or whatever. But traditionally, Jokic in the high post, think you crowd him, try to make him put the ball on the floor, see what happens. Jokic in the traditional post, I think they leave it one-on-one. Now, what about on the other side? Well, what teams have tried to do against the Lakers so far is pack the paint, force the Lakers to beat them from outside. What LeBron's done, and now he's a little bit practiced in this regard because it's basically what Houston did for the entirety of that series. Portland just had no shot. Uh, Lakers just ate them up. Every play was a wide-open possession. What the Lakers were able to do against Houston was basically LeBron utilizing screens to get more slender defenders on him. He prefers to deal with those guys as opposed to the the stout, uh, you know, Eric Gordon or P.J. Tucker. Those guys actually were a little bit more... Now, Gordon's a little dude. LeBron was able to go over him. But LeBron actually didn't seem to mind having someone like a Rob Covington on him. He could push him around a little bit. Uh, Harden, he could push around. Westbrook, the the Lakers were targeting Westbrook. He was just getting obliterated. And there's going to be an opportunity for that against Denver. Because you look at who the defenders are that they'd like to stick on LeBron, it's probably Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant. Gary Harris is too small. He's a great defender, but LeBron's got him by probably about 50 or 60 pounds at this point. Uh, Mason Plumlee's too big. LeBron can get past him. And frankly, with Millsap, you can probably get past him as well. Paul has slowed considerably. So you're looking at probably Jeremy Grant as your best defensive option. And so LeBron can simply call, 
Anthony Davis over to set a screen. A guard, Lakers love to use guards to set screens to get a smaller guy on LeBron. And that creates a ton of problems because if Denver doubles LeBron, if they hedge hard, which is a crazy move, he'll just leap and fire a pass over the defenders. And that creates an easy cutting lane for probably AD, maybe JaVale or a shooter. Uh, Or if they switch, which is what most teams have been doing to sort of slow the offense down, then LeBron will just back it out and go to work on a smaller defender gets past him, backs him down, whatever it might be, that often forces help, or you just let LeBron take a crazy high-percentage shot. So I think those are the fastballs you're going to see. Both teams have an opportunity to score. So I know what you're thinking. You're like, oh, well, both teams are going to have pretty good offensive looks. Yes, but I think it's going to take both teams some time to get into those sets. And for that reason, I'm looking at the over here in Game 1. I don't have a super strong feeling on it, but that's the direction I would lean ever so slightly. And I mean, it's so little because what my thought is the pace is going to be slow. I think this number 209 and a half is actually pretty damn good with the pace. I expect this game to take. I just happen to think both teams are going to score relatively well in this opener before you see any defensive adjustments made. So I think the pace is right. I'd probably leave it alone in terms of the side. I mean, I see no reason to go Lakers in game one. They haven't shown me that they're that they're playing their most nuanced game in the first game of a series. So uh, I, I do think they come out focused. I don't think there's going to be a lack. I don't think there was a lack of focus in any of the games so far for LA. I just think that there was rust. There was adjustment situation. That stuff needed to be made. Houston was very quick defensively. And so the question here, I guess, is, you know, did playing a team like Houston, did that ready the Lakers for what's coming? And so that's why I think uh, on the side, ever so slight lean to Denver and on the total ever so slightly into the over, which I think is probably the slightly more public side, but I don't care. That's the slight lean. I'm likely not betting this game pre-flop. And, you know, I I have some thoughts on, on in-game wagering as it uh, corresponds to yesterday's results as well, but I think that's probably the way we're going to go with this one. Still, if you desperately need to do something before the ballgame starts, those are the two leans I'm looking at. Uh, yesterday, let's break down yesterday's game. But before we do want to thank once again, our buddies over at MyBookie.ag for their continued support of everything we do here at HoopBall. They are our biggest, our most impressive and our most important partners that we've ever had at HoopBall. So a huge thank you to them. And if you want to show us and them how much HoopBall means to you, go open up an account with the promo code HoopBall. It's on the third page of sign up. As you're set, I mean, the whole process of signing up only takes like four minutes. Uh, you know, name, username, password, all that type type of stuff. And then, if you enter the code Hoopball, it unlocks a 100% deposit match bonus that you can use when you're making your first deposit into your account. And then we'll just start, you know, keep grinding out winners like we did yesterday. Our strong lean to the under just did barely cash in that one. Again, promo code is Hoopball, H O O P B A L L, at mybookie.ag. Please do check them out today. Yesterday, Miami, big-time comeback, 106-101, final score. The Heat were down 16 at halftime. Oddly reminiscent of what the Nuggets did to the Clippers. Of course, the difference here is that it sounds like Boston was none too pleased about it, where the Clippers were, uh, frankly, a little bit indifferent. It was weird. That whole series was weird, I, but we're, we're past that now. 
Uh, sounds like there was the reports are that Marcus Smart was livid in the Boston locker room after the game, screaming, things were thrown, Smart storming into the bathroom, left without speaking to the media, the whole thing. I don't really care about that stuff. I know that everybody loves drama, but this is a team that just blew a huge lead, and they're mad about it, as they should be. I thought Boston would win that game. I considered the money line. I'm obviously glad I didn't. Uh, the tweets that I put out in the middle of the day put a pretty strong marker on the under in that game, and it just did barely come through. So a few thoughts on that. Number one, from an actual game perspective, Miami's not going anywhere. I know they were getting blown out at halftime, but also Boston was shooting like 60-something percent in the first half, and that type of thing doesn't usually last for an entire ball game. Also, Boston was committing turnovers at an unpleasant clip. They ended up giving it away 20 times in the ballgame. By the way, that's the only reason this game didn't go over the total, so thank you to Boston for coughing it up so damn often. Uh, and Miami was able to wage a big comeback, and they're up now 2-0 in the series. I see a lot of people saying the series is done. I don't know how you make that claim based on the way these first two games have gone. They've both, in my estimation, been coin flips. Boston led, Miami came back, first game went to overtime. It could have gone either way. Either game could have gone either way. Certainly for Boston, they need to make some adjustments here. They can't let Goran Dragic continue to roast him the way he has been. Uh, Duncan Robinson was able to have one of his warmer games, which you know those are coming eventually, but you just you cannot make the same mistakes a bunch of times. And even as these games are going, Boston's taking harder shots. They made a lot of them yesterday, but it's, it, it's so jumper-heavy for the Celtics at times, and Miami's done a really good job of that with all teams that they've played in these playoffs so far. Indy, they took away a lot of the easy stuff. They took away a lot of the easy stuff from Milwaukee. They're trying to do it again with Boston. But look, we're, we're a betting operation here. So the next ball game tomorrow, Saturday, Boston's favored by three with a total of 206 and a half. And I don't like that one bit. And here's why. Yesterday's game, as we were talking about on the podcast, had a total of 209.5 in the morning. It was bet down to 208 before tip. That actually went the other direction, and it's why I got a little bit nervous. Luckily, there were a crap ton of in-game opportunities because Boston was shooting so well, and you knew that wasn't going to last. So there were all these opportunities to get in on Miami and the under when things reverted towards the mean, which they uh, most certainly did. But just from, a, just from a pace standpoint, Miami was right on their mark. They were expected to score 106 playing at the pace they did. They scored exactly 106 points. Low turnovers, low free throws sort of canceled each other out. And then they shot the ball fine. And that's what you get. You get your expected number. Boston actually had a pretty high pace in yesterday's game. But luckily for us, they pooped all over themselves by turning it over 20 times because they were good at the free throw line. They were very good from the field, but they were horrendous at taking care of the basketball. 20 turnovers is at least some six or seven higher than it should be. If you turn those six or seven possessions into field goal attempts, you got to figure at least two of them are going in. And so luckily for us, where Boston was expected to score 104, they scored just 101. Saved us. Saved our under. That would have gone over by one point if they had uh, not turned the ball over as many times as they did. So uh, we got lucky. That's, the, that's actually what that means. We got lucky. The pace 
was higher in this series in Game 2 than in Game 1. Game 1, the pace was around 203. Pace in this one was closer to 210. So as you see that total in the next game down at 206.5, I'm tempted to say I can't do anything with it. I can't. You know, I thought that Game 1 was an indicator of how this series was going to go, more towards that 203-204 pace. And then coming out and ratcheting it up in yesterday's ball game makes me think that this next one is probably going to fall somewhere in between those last two. Or maybe Boston is a little bit more deliberate. Perhaps they make some adjustments on the defensive end to keep Miami from making a, another comeback. I just, frankly, I would I would probably look at the over before I looked at the under, but more than likely for that Saturday game, we're leaving it alone. The in-game stuff, though. I want to spend just a minute or two on the in-game opportunities that presented themselves yesterday and how they might come up again. Miami and Boston, that's a perfect opportunity where, you know, looking back at a game that wasn't a good in-game opportunity. Remember game one, Milwaukee and Orlando? Milwaukee was falling behind, and we were like, oh, well, surely they're going to make a comeback at some point here. But there was actually nothing in that game that told us a comeback was coming. That is, Orlando was just playing better. Defensively, they were better. Loose balls, they were better. Offensively, they were better. They were just getting better shots throughout the whole ballgame. Whereas, in the game yesterday, Miami and Boston, the, the shots the two teams were getting were not that dissimilar. Boston was just making everything. All the three-pointers. They were just raining in buckets while turning it over religiously. They just kept turning it over like they could get away with that nonsense. And as you went towards the mid parts of the ball game and the second half, you knew Miami wasn't going to roll over. I don't think I would have expected them to win after being down 16, but you know, when the in-game line moves up towards 10.5, 11.5, that's a pretty good wager to take when you're looking at a team like Boston where you know the field goal percent is going to come back to earth a little bit from Miami. They were hanging in there despite not making any of their shots. And so as that stuff comes back toward the midpoint, it's going to be a tighter ball game. How it got there was anybody's guess. You know, the pace this game was on, you figured it was going to go over. I, I you know, I, yeah, as the game was going, I was looking at that under bet and thinking, this is not a good bet. If we win this, we get lucky. And that's kind of what happened. So that's why I like these in-game opportunities. You know, Lakers Nuggets today is one that we've already talked about. These two teams are probably going to throw their fastball, watch how the game is going, who's getting the easier shots versus which ones are actually going in, and you can make some assessments on how the game is going to go from there. Same deal, I think, for uh, Boston and Miami on Saturday. And that's that. The only news that broke is that I think the Celtics expect to have Gordon Hayward back for their next one and you know i don't know if that changes anything for me if it adjusts the total up then i might start to look at the under but most likely it won't change anything that would be my guess have a great weekend everybody <laughs> that's it that's where we're at have a great weekend again sign up for a hoopball account over at mybookie.ag with the promo code hoopball and get yourself a lawnmower 3.0 at manscaped.com with promo code hoopball 20 I am at Dan Bespris on Twitter. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Hold the fantasy, a hoop ball presentation. We'll talk to you guys on Monday. Figure out where the hell these series are at at that point. Can't be over. At least we got that going for us. Can't be over. We'll keep doing what we're doing. Take care.
This has been a Hoop Ball presentation.